outreach, right? And that is why we started with this whole theme on God's love. From January, we talk about the greatest love story ever told. Actually, it's the theme for the whole year because when we understand God's love for us, that is what motivates us to share His love and the gospel. And so, from creation to Christ, we saw the unfolding of God's redemptive plan through the Old Testament. And then in May, we began um, Psalms of Lament. Firstly, you know, lament is part of prayer. Prayer is part of our, our vision to be spirit-filled, fervently praying church family. Prayer of lament is one type of prayer. And we see that God is love and hence He, he listens to our laments. And then last month in June, we have the series on the great, uh, great cloud of witnesses to see uh, men and women in church history that God has used, ordinary people like you and I, um, how they've been used by God uh, because they understand God's love. And so we begin the second half of the year really quickly. This is July. In July, we're looking at First John, uh, gospel, uh, book of First John, and the whole series is about God is love. How do we find meaningful, joyful life? It's to know who this God is, to know uh, God is love. And so we will spend the next few weeks looking at each chapter and it, as it unfolds, what does, what, is, what does love mean? Love is not just a feeling or emotion. Okay, that's how John goes on to define it for us. And so today, First uh, John 1, you will see, walk in God's light. Uh, let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will pour forth abundantly the love of God into our hearts as we receive your word so that we will see Christ lifted up and Father, you will be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a sister, Esther Lim. She shares her story. She said, I'm a woman who struggles with uh, pornography and masturbation. This is the greatest struggle in my life. I remember vividly my first exposure to porn. I was still in secondary school. And after school, a bunch of us girls were, uh, stayed, were at one of our classmates' home. Someone brought up this topic. And out of curiosity, we decided to watch it together. At the time, I was not a Christian. So I didn't think that there was anything wrong. But that was the beginning of my lifetime of struggle. As a bunch of girls, we watched a pornographic film and we were blushing, giggling throughout. But as I looked at the images on the screen, my body had some strange reactions. Later, in my later teenage years, I began dating. And even though my boyfriend and I held on to the stance of not having premarital sex, but we did everything else. I felt at that time, if both of us were willing, why not? Later, I became a Christian. And as I grew in my walk with Christ, I realized this was not pleasing to God. And eventually, we broke up. But that didn't mean that I stopped struggling. Every time I had those desires, I would masturbate and watch pornography. And this secret caused me to go into this vicious cycle. Every time I sinned, I felt guilty. I confessed and said I would not sin again. And before long, I'm back into the same sin. And it came to a point, I felt that it was pointless to confess because I knew I was going to sin anyway. I didn't believe that God would listen to me. I didn't believe that God loves me. And I kept this secret all by myself for almost 13 years. And it ate me up from the inside out. You know, friends, when we come to know Jesus, 
It's as if you're introduced to this brand new world. There's excitement, there is uh, meaning to life, there's joy. Until we fall into sin. Maybe because of our pride, selfishness, discontentment. We say things we shouldn't say, we do things we shouldn't do. And we feel like we're going this vicious cycle. We keep sinning, falling into sin. And we lose this joy. How do we rediscover this joy of following God? How do we rediscover this full life of following Christ? That is what I would like to consider throughout this whole series. Especially today in 1 John 1. 1 John 1, we will see who is God. Who is God? Secondly, how do we relate to Him? So that we can live a life of joy. And finally, how do we respond today? What should we do? So let's open our word, the Word of God to 1 John chapter 1. The first four verses is really a prologue and gives us a, an idea of what the whole book is about. Who is God? He is the Word made flesh. He's not just our Creator. He's the God who desires to draw close to us. <clears throat> what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The beginning could refer to creation or it could refer to a time when John came to know Jesus. You see, at the time, there were a lot of false teachers saying that Jesus was not born in the flesh. He was just a spirit. Because according to Greek philosophy, material things, matter, body, is sinful and bad. You know, only the spiritual is good, so there's a distinct dichotomy. But in Scripture, we don't have this dichotomy. The body is good, God created it, and the new heavens and earth, we will not be floating like, like spirits and ghosts, you know, we have bodies. And so this thing he says that we have touched, we have seen, we have looked about what? The word of life, Jesus. The word that gives us life. Now what does this word of life mean? It means that God reveals himself to us. Christianity is a, a faith that is revealed by God. We don't get to make it up. Right and wrong does not depend on what other people say or what the culture says. God reveals himself to us. And that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who martyred uh, during World War II, right? Because he wanted to assassinate Hitler. Anyway, he says, if I'm the one who defines God, if I say, well, I believe God this, I feel God, if it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there a God who in some way corresponds to me, who is agreeable to me, who fits in with my nature. He's saying, you know, if God does not make any demands on us, if whatever God says we feel comfortable with, then maybe, you know, we, He is not God, but we are God. Maybe, you know, we are not made after the image of God, but God is made after our image. Surely, our faith is a revealed faith. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, you know, I believe personally that Jesus is real. You know, that is not enough, you know. To believe in Jesus is not only I believe personally. When we truly come to a saving knowledge of God, it means I believe Christ is real to everybody, whether they believe or not. Isn't that the nature of truth? Whether you believe or not, truth is truth, right? If truth adjusts itself based on your, whether you believe or not, then it's not true. And so when we come to the saving knowledge of, of, of God, of Christ, First and foremost, you must realize it's true for everybody. But because I choose to believe, now I can have this relationship with Him. I don't get to define what is right or wrong. 
And so sometimes I read articles on the web, right? Don't agree with what that person did. But then I like to read the comments. People will say, oh, don't worry, God is love. He will forgive you. You know, and I always wonder, says who? You? I mean, yeah, God forgives, but there are conditions. You, this is still sinful. And so if it's based on your opinion, please keep it to yourself, you know, nobody's interested because it doesn't matter anyway. And that is why, right from the beginning, John says, Christ revealed Himself. He is the Word. Word means there's a certain definition of right and wrong. He's the Word that gives life. He came so that we may know Him. He's not a God who is far away, but a God who is near to us. So in verse 2, it says, And that life was manifested. We have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Who is this eternal life? He says, Which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So Jesus is the one who the eternal life. He came into flesh to reveal Himself and He said, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He says that through Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. You know, what is the Christian fellowship based on? On truth. It says, when we know Jesus, we have fellowship with one another. It's based on truth. And this truth, this fellowship is not just amongst us, but with God. It means you can know this God. He desires fellowship with us. And it says, these things we write so that your joy may be made complete. So this is the end of the prologue. The whole purpose of him writing is that his joy will be made complete. How is his joy made complete? When the people know God, when they know that God is love, when they have fellowship with God, the joy is complete. How do we lead lives of joy? That is when we know God ourselves, when we have this relationship with Him. We have to make, answer this question. At the end of the day, is there something or nothing? After we die, is there something or nothing? If there's something, then how we live our lives matters. Then there can be true meaning and purpose. But if there's nothing, then there's just a sense of nothingness. There's no real meaning, no real purpose. That is why A.W. Tauser, he said, the average person in the world today, without faith, without God, without hope, is engaged in a desperate personal search and struggle throughout his lifetime. Just searching for something. He does not really know what he is doing here. He does not know where he's going. If we cannot answer the question of what happens after death, really we don't know what we are doing in this life. I often say, right, today, if you don't know this morning, you didn't know you're coming to QBC, how do you know what direction to drive or what MRT to take? You don't. The sad commentary is that everything he's doing is being done on borrowed time, borrowed money, borrowed strength. And he already knows that in the end, he will surely die. The only inescapable truth is, is death. We know we'll die, we'll face it, and if we don't know what's going to happen, then what we have now, time, money, strength, is just temporal. It ends. Man made more like God than any other creature has become less like God than any other creature. Created to reflect the glory of God, he had retreated sullenly into his cave reflecting only his own sinfulness. Why? Why does he say that? Because certainly it is a tragedy among all tragedies in this world that love has gone from man's heart. Beyond that, light has gone from his mind. Having lost God, 
he blindly stumbled on through this dark world to find only a grave at the end. He says it's not that we don't have love or we don't want to do good things, but there's no basis for it. If there's no true meaning, purpose of life, then what you do now is, is just is meaningless, ultimately. Hence, get, love gets twisted. Light has gone from his mind and he, he gives his metaphor. We are just stumbling through, through life, pursuing our career, trying to be happy, uh, trying to do a good job, trying to raise our families, trying to do what we find uh, joy in. But really, we're just stumbling in this dark world and at the end, what do we find? A grave. But John tells us it is not so. The word of life came to reveal himself to us so that we may have fellowship with him and with each other and in so doing, we have joy in life. So how do we find this joy? It is by coming back to the creator, the source of life and having this fellowship with him. So he jumps into the first point. How do we maintain have this joy, life of joy? First is to know that He is the Word who reveals Himself, but He is the Word made flesh. That's verse 5 to 10. Uh, word made flesh that, sorry, verse 5 to 10 is that He is the light and we don't walk in darkness. So He goes on to say the first aspect of God we need to know. This message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him th- there's no darkness at all. Now what does this mean? God is light, meaning He's perfect, his truth, there's no sin. But it also means he, we, he exposes all our sins. We cannot stand before Him because He's perfect. Any imperfection that comes before Him is judged. Just as when there's light, there is no darkness. You know, once I went to a departmental store, I was trying to try on this new shirt. So I went to the changing room and they have this bright white light shining on the mirror. And the moment I stepped in, guess what I was looking at? I was like, wow, I look at my own face. So, wow, so many dots ah, and black spots. And then I started looking very closely. I spent more time looking at my face than the clothes, you know. So in the end, I didn't buy the shirt. So a moral lesson, if you want people to buy clothes, don't put those bright white lights, you know. God is this bright white light. His truth shines on us and there's no place to hide. In light, there is no darkness. So what should we do? Should we deny, pretend, go on with our lives? You know, just our movie uh, day on Thursday on the Chinese side. It's actually a local production. Okay, so it's a bit interesting. It shows like five scenes. It's artistic, so you need to spend some time understanding. It shows this scene, this scene, this scene, five different couples talking about their life. Then you go back. Then it goes back. So it takes a while to really understand the story. And right at the end, then there's a spotlight on each couple, you know, and it tells us the story. And you, as the story is pieced up, you're just horrified. It begins like a normal dates and conversation. It ends with all the deep, dark secrets of their life. We invited the director to share with us. Okay, so he was here. So he shared why he made that movie. He says like, to show, you know, our lives, we live like normal people, but then when the light shines, you see all your sins. And the interesting thing, the movie ends by suddenly, the white light all disappears. It goes back to red lights and everybody started talking like as if nothing happened. And says that's what we are like. We go back to darkness. We continue our daily lives. Even though, you know, we, there are problems. We are just busy with our lives, sweep it under the carpet, don't think about it, tomorrow will be better. Scripture tells us there's light, there's no darkness, so what should we do about it? Firstly, he says, we don't have to deny. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not speak the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself in the light, firstly, we have fellowship with one another. Secondly, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from sin. The idea of walking in light or walking in darkness, the word is a habitual sense. Meaning it's not that you sin once or twice, you know, but habitually it's a lifestyle. You intentionally, deliberately sin or you intentionally, deliberately walk in the light. It's a lifestyle. And so if you say you know God but you lead the double life, then you truly don't know God. You're walking in darkness and you're lying. But if you walk in the light, we have fellowship. Again, I go back to the question, how do we have fellowship in Christ? What is it based on? Because we go to the same school? Because we have common interests and we are the same age group? Because I like you? Because you look good? What is the basis of fellowship? Light, truth. That is why when we lead the double life, it's hard to be part of a community because we have secrets to hide. We know there's hypocrisy in our lives. There's always a barrier, there's always a secret because we don't want to open up to others. Likewise, when we confess, when we open up to share our darkness, then there's fellowship. Authentic fellowship is the willingness to share our struggles. It's not that we come to church and we say, I'm good. Every Sunday we dress up, we come here, all look very nice, but every one of us have broken stories. Just like that, that, that movie we watched on Thursday. You know, every couple, at first you see like very ordinary, uh, dressed nicely, professionals, but actually everybody has brokenness. But authentic fellowship is not just sharing about brokenness. Here it's not say we share our darkness, it says we share our light. Meaning we grow together as a community in Christ towards holiness. So authenticity is not, I come here, I share my brokenness, you pray for me, I pray for you. Oh, so sad. It is after that we also said, and then we decide, no, this, we are not going to stop here. We're going to pursue holiness together. We walk in the light as He is in the light. Then we have fellowship. So every time we come together, don't say, ayah, this person, not very spiritual. Ayah, this person, you know, they could have done this better. Why don't they do it this way? It's a re realization, actually, I have all these problems too. And then we come together and say, hey, you know what? Let's pursue God together. And the next thing he says, then the blood of Jesus actually cleanses all from sin, which means what he's saying here is not a sinless perfection. It's not that we, when we walk in the light, it means we have no sin. He says, no, it's that our, our sins have been cleansed by Jesus. And so, as a result, how do we deal with this? You don't have to deny. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. You say this person is not spiritual, that person doesn't love Jesus. But what about ourselves? Scripture says, if you think, you think you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. You're walking in darkness. Walking in darkness doesn't just mean that we do bad things and sin, right? It, it is that we don't reflect. We don't change. We don't repent. We go on. We're just busy with our lives, pretending everything is okay. We sweep it, sweep it under the carpet. We say tomorrow will be better. That's, that, that is the, the full meaning of walking in darkness. It says if we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Just like what I shared in the pastor's voice, right? Um, the Lord of the Rings, even Gandalf, the great good wizard, he didn't dare to touch the ring because everything the ring touches, it corrupts. And really, it's going to bring up the point that we are all sinners. 
There's no need to deceive ourselves. We're all sinners. Scripture says we are totally depraved. Now, that doesn't mean we are murderous, adulterous, evil people. It doesn't mean we don't have good impulses, that we, don't, we are not kind and do good things. What it does mean, mean is that at our best, when we take a closer look at it, the best thing you do, you take a closer look, you see in it a core sense of pride, self-interest. What Augustine would say, in cavitus in si, which means the incurvature of our soul. That our soul is naturally curved inward. And so sin is expressed how? Well, in jealousy that destroys friendships. Envy, you have, I also have, I want. How love easily turns to hate when we don't get it. Or lust. How we enjoy flattery. How we try to put other people down so that we can get the credit. So, Scripture tells us we are sinners. We don't have to deceive. Our, if we say we don't, if you deny that, you pretend you don't see it, you're deceiving yourself, the truth is not in you. So, how should we then respond to it? Instead of denying it, it says we confess. On the other hand, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess? It's not to tell God you have done wrong. God already knows. It's to come before God to acknowledge, agree with Him that we have done wrong. To turn it into light. And this confession comes with turning of our hearts we call repentance. It's not just saying. Just like this child, right? He was caught stealing apples from the kitchen. So he was brought to the school chaplain. And the chaplain says, well, you have to confess. So he prayed, say, God, Please forgive me for taking seven apples from the kitchen. And the chaplain said, wait, 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 wait a minute. You just told me you took five apples. And he said, yeah, I took five, but tomorrow I'm taking two, so I'm confessing for it. That, my friends, is not confession. Confession means repentance, a turning of our hearts. And it doesn't mean that later on we will not sin. Repentance means at this point when I turn, sincerely, I do not want to sin again. That's the turning of the heart. But down the road, will you fall and stumble? Yeah, maybe, probably. But you're not intentionally, deliberately planning and thinking, ah, yeah, never mind, I just say, tomorrow I'll sin again. So it says, if we confess our sins, why is then confession so important? It's just a little girl, she likes to eat ice cream, and so every day she asks her mother for extra pocket money. She says, I want to buy books, but actually she used the money to buy ice cream. Next day, she says, I want to buy a gift from my friend. But she went to buy ice cream. So her mother also not stupid. Huh? She noticed, eh, no books, no gift. So one day, she follows her daughter uh, to school from behind, you know, secretly. Then she saw her daughter buying ice cream. The next day, when the daughter says, oh, I want to buy a bag, do you think the mother will give the money? Of course not, right? Likewise, God knows what is going on. And therefore, confession is important because it brings us before Him. Our relationship with God is like a pipe, for example. You know, when a pipe is clear, the water flows through. But over time, it gets stuffed up with stuff, right? Then the water gets stuck. There was once my bathroom sink was stuck. And I'm not a handy person. No? I don't like to change like bulb, open dirty water pipes. I mean, you want me to change diapers, clean, cook. That one I can do. So I tried to procrastinate until finally I could not. It was just stuck. Right? Sometimes you wait long enough, it goes through. But whereas this time, it's really stuck. No choice. Uh. 
So even below the sink, tried to unscrew the thing. When it opened, I was expecting all the water to gush out, but nothing came out. So it's really stuck. Then I saw only a few strands of hair. I said, how oh, a few strands of hair that stuck? So I pulled. It must be gentle, because a few strands, you know, you pull too hard, it breaks, right? So I pulled gently, 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 just tug at it. Finally, I saw a bit more hair. Then I grabbed onto it and I pulled. It didn't come out. Nothing happened. I pulled. Nothing happened. I pulled. Boom! And a ball of hair came out and the water came. Then I looked at the hair. How can there be a ball of hair in my sink? Then I thought of all the people with long hair in my house, you know. <laughs> but what happens is after the ball came out, oh, the water just flowed. And our relationship with God is the same. Why do we lose the joy, the sense of connection with God? Because all these sins get stuffed up. When we sin, it doesn't break the pipe. It just stuffs up the pipe. When we are children of God in sin, it doesn't break the relationship. We are still God's children, but it affects the fellowship. And that is what John is talking about, fellowship. Fellowship with God. This relationship, it gets stuffed up and we lose the sense of purpose, the sense of joy that God is with us. And hence, it's important to confess. Some people say, you know, um, actually, because of Jesus' finished work, He paid for our sins, past, present and future, we don't have to confess sins. There's no such thing as sin. This text is not talking to Christians, it's talking to something else. But I think as we read the Bible, it becomes clear. We must understand this concept when we are saved because of what Christ has done, our sins have been paid for. That's true. But unconfessed sins affect our daily relationship with God. That is why even the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us, right? Give us daily bread. Forgive our sins. Pray this daily. Forgive our sins. But our sins have been forgiven, yes? It's been paid for when we put our faith in Christ. So we want a life of joy and purpose. We need to reconnect with the source of joy and purpose, which is our Creator. Through that is the confession of sins. And it's interesting. It says here, this is, if we confess our sins, He is merciful and gracious to forgive our sins. Does it say that? No, I'm like, testing you all, see you're awake. No? It says you're faithful and just, righteous. Why? When we talk about sins, forgiving of sins, it should be gracious. God is gracious, God is merciful. That's why He forgives us, right? But Scripture doesn't say it. He says He's faithful and just. Why does he say that? Because Jesus has already paid for our sins. And so God cannot take it out on us again a second time. If he does so, he's not just, he's not faithful. So imagine Jesus is our defense attorney. He stands before God and says, God, I demand justice that you treat them fairly. Why? Because you've taken out your wrath on me. You cannot take it out on them. So if we confess our sins because God is faithful to his word, because God is fair and righteous, he will forgive us for all unrighteousness. And so John ends with this. He says, well, verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So this whole chapter 1, how do we have joy? How do we reconnect with God with fellowship? That is to remember he is, God is light and we will not walk in darkness. We want to intentionally pursue holiness together to walk with him and don't have to deny that. Just like this mother who calls her daughter to clean the house. It was a late afternoon and so, you know, the room was dark and there was sunlight streaming through, uh, slid through the curtains. And you know, when the sunlight, what do you see? Dust. So she clean, 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 she look up, dust. She clean, 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 after half an hour, she look, dust. She clean, 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 another half an hour and there's still dust. And so finally, she went up and closed the curtain. 
is that how we are like? You know, we give up, we pretend. We say, I don't have, I'll just look at all these other people so bad, not so unspiritual, so I don't love God. But what about ourselves? True fellowship is based on light, pursuing holiness together. And to understand that God is Word made flesh. He reveals Himself to us so that we may know Him. We may experience joy in life. And the first step to that is knowing God is light and we will not walk in darkness. So how do we do that? Knowing that we do fall into sin and that is to keep short accounts. The idea of confession is to keep short accounts. Every morning we wake up, we present our day, spend 10 minutes, you know, talk to God. Bring your day before Him. At the end of the day, spend five, five minutes, you know, don't watch Netflix until you're very tired and sleep like me, you know. I sleep, but I, I still pray, spend five minutes praying. Reflect on the day, what we have sinned and we bring it to God to keep our accounts short. So that every day, we're reminded of what God is doing in our lives. And you say, why so easy, you know? I just say, God, sorry, I bring thought about this, then God forgives me. I tell you, it's not easy. It's only easy because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Just like this true story of this person. You know, he had a good friend who helped him to build his empire. When he became rich, he took a liking of his friend's wife, impregnated her, and to hide that secret, he killed his friend. Terrible person. Does this sound familiar? Should. It was King David, the man after God's heart. I mean, it blows my mind, right? How come a person after God's heart is like that? And yet it happened. He wrote a psalm 3,000 years ago that we can read today. Psalm 51. After what happened with Bathsheba, he wrote this psalm. He says, Be gracious to me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out your transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin, cleanse me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. His, this is his confession for us. His confession that he writes out. He thinks through it. He reflects on every part of his sin and God. And he writes out, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Bathsheba, but he says, actually, ultimately, I sinned against you. Here's his perspective. Purify me, make me hear joy and gladness again. There's this heaviness in his soul and then he says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Why do we lose our joy and purpose in life when we sin? Because we get disconnected to God and that is what he's praying. Don't take your presence away from me. Speak to me. Forgive me. Restore the joy unto me. And finally, he says, Lord, open my lips. I declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it, but you're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, what is God pleased with? is a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, I will not despise. Why is it that he confesses before God and God accepts? Is it easy? It's not easy. It is because God is intent to save us through the Messiah. You see David in another story, he was trying to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Alright? And he put the ark on a, a cart. Maybe the distance very far. Okay, so he can put on a cart, it's easier. But actually God's word says that the ark should be carried, not put on a cart. So he put on a new cart and they will bring it to the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. 
Uzziah and all, all these people were leading the cart. In fact, they make, make a new cart some more, you know, because God's ark is very holy. But when they came to a threshing floor on this place, suddenly the, the cart hit something, the ark almost fell, and Uzziah held it so that it would not fall. It says the anger of the Lord burned against Uzziah. Uzziah was trying to prevent the ark from falling. God struck him down there for his irreverence and he died there by the ark of God. He said, wow, why like that? I mean, he was just trying to help the situation, right? He was trying to do good, prevent the ark from falling. But God's word says, if you touch the ark, you die. And we are shocked. And perhaps we are shocked because we treat God's holiness too lightly. But Scripture shows us God is holy, is not to be trifled with. And just as we feel we are shocked, David is shocked, David is angry, he says, okay, never mind, he, he left the ark there, he's, he's not going to bring back to Jerusalem. And then he found that over a few months, the person was blessed. So he says, okay, it's now time to bring it to Jerusalem. This time he does it the right way, he carries the ark. So it came that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord has gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Every six step, he killed an ox. And you know, for this place, uh, Obed-Edom to Jerusalem, is about five to ten kilometers can you imagine the amount of stick wasted? Every six that he kill, kill, kill an ox, you know? And all the way to Jerusalem is covered with blood. That is why he's able to bring the holy ark back to Jerusalem. And David was dressed in this linen ephod. It is the dress of a priest. He was acting like a prophet and of course he's king. You know in the Old Testament, there are three offices, king, prophet and priest. And each of these offices is held on by a different person. They cannot be the same. And so what David was doing here foreshadows the one who is to come, who is both king, priest, and prophet. That is Jesus Christ. The Messiah who is both king, priest, and prophet would come and it is His blood that enables us to go into the presence of God. From the home of Pontius Pilate, Jesus carried His cross on the road of suffering to Golgotha outside of Jerusalem and He dripped blood all the way. And this is the essence of the gospel. That we are such a great sinner, but Christ is such a great saviour. Why is it so easy we confess God forgives? It's easy because Jesus did what He did. That is why our relationship with God will not be broken simply because we don't lose our privileges as children of God, our identity just because of sin. It affects our fellowship with God and hence, we need to confess and keep our accounts short. You know, Esther Lim, she said a few years ago, I decided to look at my issues seriously and honestly. And I told God, I cannot live up to your standards. During one of my quiet times, I read this phrase. It says, overcoming sin is a habitual weakening of sin that involves constant fighting and contending against sin. He said, honestly, I was a bit discouraged fight every day. But God also revealed to me that that is the way to overcome sin. It's a daily contending and fighting. But there's an, we, we, need to, we can turn back in confession to God. There's enough grace to sustain us. And so, what is a victorious Christian life? It's not that we don't sin or struggle, but then when we sin and struggle, we know where to turn to. And then she said, one day I was sharing my friend, my best friend, I didn't know where I got the courage, but I revealed to her my struggle. I was most afraid that she would judge me 
But instead, she told me, I struggle too. I felt this burden lifted off my shoulders because now I know there's somebody who understands, who can pray with me when I struggle, who can remind me that the grace of God is sufficient. That is fellowshipping in the light. Not just admit that we're sinners, but we struggle together and say, hey, we want to grow together in holiness. I know, friends, there are many people out there who struggle with this sense that we are not good enough, who struggle with this burden of sin and guilt, even if we do not believe in God, always feeling we're not good enough. But the gospel tells us we are. Because of Jesus, we are enough. God accepts us. He forgives us. So if we understand this, to keep short accounts, to have joy in life, to know where we are going. Can you imagine if you share this news to the people around you? You know, as a pastor, I hear many of these stories. I'm so encouraged. Every time I struggle with my own self, my faith, I think about how God has changed lives of people, how He has worked in this person's life or this person's life. And it reminds me, this is my God. And so I want to encourage you to share your story, to listen to story. So come for our journey onward, especially the second one. Okay, it's about people sharing how gospel transformed their lives so that we can be encouraged. To learn to keep our accounts short on a daily basis to pray. Come for our next week's, our first session of journey onward, which is a time of prayer together as a church right after our worship service. Stay back. Stay back to pray together as we keep short accounts and walk in the light. The joy of God fills our life. Let us walk in the light and not in darkness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you once again. As we come before you, we realize that truly your grace is sufficient for us even in, um, in our darkness. We try to hide, to ignore, to just be busy with life. But your light, your gospel shine into our lives. You do not let go. And we can come before you and confess to keep short accounts. Give you a few minutes of silence that you can come before God uh, to talk to Him. And then, then worship Him will lead us in response.